Amen. Take your copy of God's Word, if you will, and turn to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. We'll focus this morning on verses 6 through 8. Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. I want to talk to you this morning about the final words of Jesus. The words of Jesus, the commission that He gives to His disciples. I want you to think for a moment, like if you have ever offered any type of final words. Maybe you were leaving for a trip. Maybe uh, somebody else was leaving for a trip. Maybe you were just going to be gone for the day, but as you walked out, you wanted to make sure of certain things, and you kind of gave some final instructions. It, those instructions were important, right? You, you, you might have even, you might have told somebody that you loved them. You might have shown affection for somebody. You might have just been simply instructive in what you said. Some of you can relate to this, right? When you got up that morning, when you left, or maybe before the trip, how many of you looked at your kids at one point and said, hey, you better have this room cleaned up before I get back? There can be purely practical, or it can be very affectionate in the sense of communicating love for whoever it is that you're not going to see for some time. And Jesus spoke to his disciples. And, and in a way, he spoke with love and affection because that's the way Jesus always seemed to speak. But he also, spe he also spoke with some type of purpose and function for the disciples. And I believe that these words so inform us today in our work. Now, you remember last week as we began this study together that what I told you is that Luke, as he writes this, reminds us that the story of Christ goes on. That what God did through the one in the gospel, that is Jesus Christ, God now does through the many, those of us who are called his people, the church, the called out ones. So here he defines it in these final words. He defines the mission. He defines the purpose even, I think, more definite for us. So I want you to see this. Acts chapter 1 as he has gathered his disciples together. He is about to ascend into heaven. And we're told in verse 6 that therefore, when they had come together, they asked him saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. So here he brings the disciples together. And according to the, those first verses of the book of Acts, he had been talking to them about the kingdom of God. He had been teaching them. Even during that 40-day period between his resurrection and now his ascension, he had been talking to them about the kingdom. He'd been teaching them. So with that in mind, they're here on the Mount of Olives, and they ask this question, uh, Jesus, is it now? Is this the moment when you are going to restore the nation of Israel? Now remember, all these disciples come from a Jewish background. So they've understood that the Messiah was going to come, and their understanding in particular was that the nation was going to be restored to the great glory of David and Solomon, and perhaps even be greater than they could ever imagine. So here they are, and, and again, according to the verses that follow this, they're on the Mount of Olives. I, 
you know, I've studied this passage several times. You, have you ever had verses like you've studied just several times and you just kind of miss some stuff the first few times and, and like all of a sudden God like just brings something else to, to my, any of you know I'm, I'm the only slow learner here? Okay, okay. Well, when I was working through it, I never got this fact, the significance maybe I should say, of the Mount of Olives. Now, now, I knew that they were on the Mount of Olives. I had all that in my mind. But I never had thought about the significance. Maybe it hit me over the last week as I had been to the Mount of Olives and just reminded that that place is associated with this messianic fervor, I would call it. Messianic expectation. That it is there in the Mount of Olives that the Jews believe that here God would, would send His Messiah, that the Messiah would return. Even to this day, if you go over and you look at the Mount of Olives and you go down the slope of the mount and you go into the Kidron Valley like you're going to walk back up to Jerusalem, what you will find, you'll find all kinds of people buried there. All kinds of Jews who chose to be buried there in that spot. And you know what? They were actually buried there even during the time of Jesus. So Jesus would walk by some of these graves and they were buried there because of their expectation of the Messiah's return. They believed the Messiah was going to come and was going to restore the nation of Israel. So, it, you know, I look at this and I hear the disciples now. They're in the place of messianic expectation. And they're saying, now's the time. The kingdom is going to be restored. Israel is going to receive its glory. Now, some of us would look at them probably today and say, you knuckleheads. Have you not learned anything? I mean, Jesus taught you for three and a half years while he was about his earthly ministry. He's been fleshing out the kingdom for you now for 40 days. And it still seems like you are caught up in this restoration of Israel alone. You know, for us, we know that the gospel is going to go certainly much further than Israel. It's going to encompass so many other individuals and obviously races, ethnicities. But some of us would probably say, how do these disciples still miss it? I would just say before we beat up on those New Testament disciples, we probably ought to ask ourselves, how do we still miss it? Hmm? Some of us have been Christians for a long time. And it takes the Lord quite a while on some of us to get the message through. Amen or oh me. It happens. So here they're asking that question. And Jesus doesn't necessarily rebuke them. He, he doesn't necessarily speak in a corrective fashion, although he will speak to them and clarify their mission and their purpose. And here, here's Jesus, okay, looking to them. He says, well, you know, it's really not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father's put in his own authority. In other words, don't worry about that. All the end time speculation, it, it's so important certainly for us to know that Jesus is going to return again. And we affirm that. And it is important for us to read 
the book of Revelation, for example, and, and other apocalyptic literature that we see in the Scripture. It's important for us to be comforted by the victory of Christ and His return. But don't get so caught up in the details of it that you miss the purpose and the plan that God has for us now. He says, it's not necessarily for you to know that. The Father, He's got all this figured out. God can handle the end times just like He can handle the now times. He can handle all that without your input, He said. But he, God, God's got this. But, verse 8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem. So he says, you've got a purpose. You're going to be my witnesses. You're going to be witnesses concerning me. You're going to be witnesses about me. Now again, the final words of Jesus, as he narrows the scope of our mission and our purpose, he says, Basically, what we are called to do, and all disciples are called to do, is to give witness to Jesus Christ. It is certainly appropriate for us to dig in to the Scripture and for us to consider all types of theological, uh, theological thought and, and to really kind of just, just think about who God is in our lives. It's certainly appropriate for us to do that. But I want you to understand that the life of the church, the life of every believer is not just caught up in sitting around and reflecting theologically. The life of the church and the life of every believer should be a practical application that we see in our lives. In other words, we think about what God is and who God is and what He has done, but we also do something about what God is and who He is and what He has done in our lives. We live it out. We're witnesses. And it must go beyond just the walls of the church. Man, I, I love coming here and teaching through the Scripture. I love being able to know that there are Sunday school classes and Bible studies going on. But understand, God wants you to increase in your knowledge of Him so that you will make Him known in this community and beyond. That's the purpose. God doesn't want just us walking around being full of the knowledge of Scripture without pouring that knowledge back into somebody else and who Christ is. He says, you are my witnesses. Evangelism grows out of theological reflection. Sharing the gospel of Christ grows out of who we are. And certainly, when we're witnesses, we're going to talk more about that purpose in a moment, but when we're witnesses, understand we are witnesses to Christ. He says, you are my witnesses. So when I go out to share something, it's not just about me. You've met some of those folks before that like to talk about themselves? Yes? Yes? You don't have to call any names. I'm not going to call you out. You can agree. But it's not about ourselves. It's about Jesus. It's about who He is and what He's done. Now, you may talk about yourself in context of Christ, about how you are no longer the same since Jesus has come into your life. You may do that. But it must always focus on Christ. I remember Billy Graham some years ago saying, 
that the only time when he felt like his sermons had fallen flat was when he had avoided preaching Christ as he should. He said as long as he preached Christ, the power of God seemed to rest upon him and God did everything else that was needed. And for us, it is about who Christ is. And we are witnesses to Christ. And listen, this is not just a purpose of the preacher. What I hope that you'll see when you go through the book of Acts with me is that every believer who had been so changed by the Holy Spirit of God and who had so seen what God had done in their lives through salvation and grace and faith, that every believer was just compelled to tell other people what Christ had done. Every believer. You and I need to understand that witnessing does not mean that you have, you have to have a Ph.D. in preaching, communication, or even theology. Now, I'm all for education. You understand? I dedicated a lot of my life to it. Leslie thought it was going to consume all of my life. That's the reason she put a little pressure on me to finish up toward the end. There's nothing wrong with education. But you do not have to have a Ph.D. to tell people how Christ Jesus loved you and how Christ Jesus loves them. You don't have to have it. I am so grateful that we're part of a church that tries to disciple uh, believers who attend here and who come. I, I'm so grateful for that. I'm grateful for opportunities of Bible drill and other things that we have. Right now on Sunday afternoons, Brother Ben has helped us as he has led us in a, a study of sharing Jesus without freaking out. I'm proud that we have those contexts so that we can learn to share Christ more effectively. So I'm not downing this whatsoever, but I want you to hear, you don't even have to go through Witnessing 101 in order to share Christ Jesus and who He is. You don't have to. They didn't have to. It just came natural to them. And Jesus said, you will be my witnesses. It is a presence witness. It is a proclamation witness. I've used those terms through the years several times. A presence witness. That is just us being around, certainly. That is, in our lifestyle, that should be a witness to people. I agree with that. Our actions should reflect back to the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything that we do, everything that we say should reflect back. So there is a presence witness. But there's also a proclamation witness. In other words, you and I must verbally share Jesus Christ with other people. There was a quote, and I've seen it circulating around again, and some uh, attribute it to St. Francis of Assisi. Some people say it wasn't really a quote by him. But it, was, it basically suggests this. Preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary... Use words. I'm all about living the gospel every day. I'm all about trying to demonstrate who Christ is in our lives. But may I just suggest to you that that quote and that idea is nothing more than theological... Okay, Mississippi, come out of me. Baloney. Could you ever imagine 
The early disciples saying, well, we'll use words if it's necessary. If it's necessary. We'll just live good lives and we'll see what happens here. And if it's necessary, we'll tell people who Jesus is. Are you kidding me? You and I must always be verbal testifiers to who Jesus Christ is in our lives. I could work by somebody throughout my whole life and try to live a life of fruit and a life of what is right. I could do that all my life. And if yet they do not know that the reason I do what I do and the reason I live like I live is because of Jesus, then I have failed. And how are they going to know if I don't tell them that Jesus Christ is the one who has made a difference in my life? He's the reason I can approach some of these tough days. He's the reason that I can have such close friendships within a body of people called the church. You and I, everyone in this place, if you are a believer in Christ, now that is the presupposition, isn't it? If you are a believer in Christ, then he looks at you still and he says, you are my witnesses. Not just the pastor, not just the staff, all of us. I'll never forget the story of the preacher who went over to First Baptist Dallas many, many years ago. And I know a couple of you were members at First Baptist Dallas, and you all got to hear Dr. Chris Wolf's preach. He was a great preacher, I think, a conservative preacher who preached for approximately 50 years at First Baptist Church of Dallas. 50 years. Can you imagine? Well, this young man went over to First Dallas to hear the great Dr. Criswell preach. Dr. Criswell got up into the pulpit and he said, Today I'm not going to preach. I'm just going to read to you. Well, that seems strange. Dr. Criswell is going to read. And he said, I'm just going to read. And actually what I want to read to you today is our annual budget of First Baptist Dallas. Young preacher thought to himself, did he say what I thought he said? He's about to read the budget. And the young preacher said, and you know the budget of First Baptist Dallas. There are many, 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 many lines in that budget. And they be he began to read through. And he read through it all. It was one of the most boring, aggravating experiences of the young man's life. And then he stopped and he gave an invitation at the end, as he always did. And he thought, invitation after that? And they said people just began to come. Like there were people that came. I mean, there were several people. And, and, and this young man said, you know what? i got to get a copy of that budget. <laughs> Next time I preach... The next time I do a revival, the next time I do these things, somehow I, I want to use that because if that has the power to bring people, I'm going to preach that budget one day. But then he said he understood. Then he understood exactly what was going on. Because after the invitation was completed, Dr. Criswell began to introduce the new members of the church. He would say something like, this is Patsy. 
Patsy comes today and she's accepted Christ as her Lord and Savior. She wants to be baptized. Patsy was led to Christ this week by Jim and Mary up there in the balcony. This is Tom. Tom has come today also to profess his faith in Christ. And Tom comes today to confess that because Gene, yeah, Gene, I think I see you sitting back there. Gene led him to Christ this week in his workplace. And he went on and on. And the young preacher said that day that he realized that a church wasn't a great church just because they had a great pastor. They were a great church because they were a church that would witness to the Lord Jesus Christ. We are witnesses. Every individual in this place who has accepted Christ as their Savior, every individual here is a witness or should be. That's the purpose. Now understand that God did not leave you powerless. He did not leave you alone. The reason I entitled this the co-mission is that it is the mission, but it is something that we do but we do not do it alone. We do it through God, His strength, His help. We do it because the Holy Spirit comes into our lives when we are saved. He indwells us and He gives us power. Earlier again, Jesus had said that you will be baptized. Just as John the Baptist said that there would come one who would baptize you, He would baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit would immerse you. The Holy Spirit comes to give us power. And we need that power. Look, I remember so many times, and I still can get intimidated on things and scared about things. When I was in college, some of you have heard me tell the story. I was at Blue Mountain College, and the Mississippi Baptist Convention decided they had put together a team and send to Salt Lake City to where we were having our Southern Baptist Convention. We went to Salt Lake City. There were about, I don't know, 10, 12 of us, if I remember correctly. And what we did is we went out door to door witnessing Salt Lake City. I was scared to death. This boy from the hills of North Mississippi all of a sudden plopped down into Salt Lake City. We're going house to house in something I'd never heard of, a subdivision. We were walking... think I'm kidding. I, what? I thought we were going like below, uh, below water there for a little while, but we would go and we'd knock. I remember the first one I knocked on. And I simply stopped and I prayed. And I said, God, please don't let anybody be at home. Please don't let anybody be at home. Please, please, please. I'm telling you, I remember like yesterday. Hey, I was being faithful. I was knocking. I just want to even not bring anybody out there. I didn't, I could, no, I don't think I can do this. I thought I was going to pass out. There were several times like that. Well, God didn't answer the prayer. I thought he would answer, or the way I thought he would answer, the door opened. And it's amazing how God gave me exactly what I needed for the moment. Isn't that what he had said to his disciples? I'm going to give you recall. 
I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to bring things to remembrance that you thought you had forgotten. I'm going to give you everything you need. Here he says, I'm going to give you the power that is necessary for you to speak my name. And if you think that I was afraid back then, can you imagine how these disciples... How they must have been afraid. They're going to be sent into Jerusalem in just a moment. The place where their master, the place where their savior was crucified. And he's going to say, you go right back into Jerusalem. Right there with all that hostility from the government officials, from the religious officials. And I want you to bear witness to who I am. I guarantee you they were scared. That's the reason they needed the power. They needed the power to overcome all the barriers you would see in the book of Acts. And oh, there were barriers to the gospel. There were all kinds of things that would try to push back, whether it, was, whether it would be that religious uh, leadership, the government opposition, the immorality, demonic activity that would come against the people of God, the internal divisions that they would face, the doctrinal challenges that would be there, the ethnic barriers that were there, the geography that they would have to cover. They needed some extra power. They couldn't do it on their own. Jesus said, just so you know, the Holy Spirit's going to come. You wait, but the Holy Spirit is going to come. In the original language, it is the word dunamis. Of course, later on, we get the term dynamite from that word power. And I know you can't read back into the Scripture at all, and I don't want to suggest that today, but I want you to hear very clearly that I believe the reality of our lives is that the Holy Spirit is the dynamic force. He is the TNT. He is the power for us to live daily and for us to give witness to who Christ is. The Holy Spirit, He's in our lives. We have power. Unfortunately, we don't utilize the power that He's given us. Dr. Chuck Kelly gave a couple illustrations some years ago that stuck with me. Dr. Kelly talked about bodybuilding. And I know some in our church actually, uh, actually participate in that. And it's a, it's, it's a great thing, bodybuilding is. I, I thought about doing it myself at one time. Maybe still get into it. I still got some time, I think. But Dr. Kelly always said, you know, when you look at the bodybuilders, I mean, they have, I mean, it is impressive, the muscle that they have. It is very impressive. I take nothing away from it. But when you think about bodybuilding itself, like during the actual competition, they, they don't do much than just like flex and demonstrate their muscle, right? They, they don't really use, I mean, I guess you could say, they kind of use the muscle, but not really. It's more of the appearance. Dr. Kelly always said, you know, it's kind of like us Christians sometimes. We got the muscle. We got the power. But it's like we stand there for everybody else to look at us, and we don't even use it. We don't put it. We don't put it to work. Dr. Kelly also said witnessing was a part of what he called the muscle that God had given us, the witnessing muscle that God had given us. And that every time that you use the witnessing muscle, it was much easier to actually share Christ with other people. He said, for example, when you haven't used a muscle in a while and you do, what hurts? What happens? You, you hurt. Correctly? Correct? 
right? When you use a muscle, maybe you pick up something, maybe you do something, you strain, it kind of bothers you just a little bit. I need some help here, folks. Does it bother you a little bit? I've been complaining on my back for a week, all right? Leslie told me as I was getting old. I'm hoping, anyway. It's because I hadn't used it. And you know why it hurts so often for you to witness? It's because you ain't used it. It's so difficult because we hadn't shared. But the more you share, the more you see it is easier. And the Holy Spirit gives you strength. He gives you power. He is the power behind it all. You and I cannot, listen, you and I as individuals and you and I as a church, we cannot rely upon our financial power, our intellectual power, our social power. We must only depend upon the spiritual power of God in our lives, the Holy Spirit to come and to give us exactly what we need. It is not by might nor power, but it is by the Spirit, saith the Lord. You and I need Him even as we share because Jesus said, hey, I got this purpose for you to witness, and, and, and I got this power, the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk more about it on the day of Pentecost when he comes. But he says the, the, the power is going to come in your life because I've got this grand plan for you. I mean, this plan's awesome. It may not sound too awesome to you right now, but this plan is awesome. And this is the plan. He said, you are going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. That's the plan. You might even take that verse and use it as an outline for the rest of the book of Acts. Because this is how it's going to happen. You go into Jerusalem. Just a minute ago I told you that is the place that's going to be some of the hardest work. Because that's the place where Jesus was crucified. That's the place where the religious leaders will come against them. But he says, you go in Jerusalem. And let me just say, sometimes some of the hardest work of witnessing is in the very closest realms of our life. You know what's tough sometimes for me is witnessing to my family members. Sometimes I can witness more to somebody that I've just met on the street than I can to my family members. I'll just be honest. I'm transparent with you this morning. Sometimes it's tough. I'm telling you I've got some family members that are as lost as could be right now. And it's very tough even to have the relationship or to have the conversation, I should say, with them about who Jesus is. Especially when we've had it before. You go to Jerusalem, right where you are. Start where you are. You and I should be witnesses right where we are. In our family, our workplaces, our communities, with our neighbors. He said in Judea, the fellow countrymen. You fellow countrymen. Acts chapter 2, when, the, when Pentecost happens and the people of God experience the power of the Holy Spirit, they will see this gospel extend even into Judea itself. Samaria. Remember the Samaritans? The hated people, or at least they were hated by the Jews. And to be honest, the feeling was mutual. They hated the Jewish people as well. 
said, you go to those. Acts 8, we'll see Philip taking the gospel to the Samaritans. To the ends of the earth. At the end of the book of Acts, Paul will be in Rome. Can you imagine this one missionary who began with a transformation on the road to Damascus ends up in the capital of the known world at the time. And what's he doing? He's proclaiming the gospel. Because God's power is so, much, is so effective. It is so complete that he can bring about his plan. It is such a plan for us as well. Start where we were, as I said. Family, friends, community. There's work to be done here. Absolutely. All around us. For us as a church, we want to make sure that we're reaching out into our community constantly. How do we do it best? As we, the church, go into the community. We want to reach into our state. It's one of the reasons you'll see short-term trips planned. You'll see churches that we're partnering with because we're not in this alone. This is not just for Temple Baptist Church. This is for all of us as Bible-believing Christians to come together and to extend the gospel of Christ. Our nation. That's the reason we talk about church plants in Los Angeles and in Boston and in Chicago, even to the neighbors to the north, our Canadian friends and the mission and work we have there in Calgary, even to those in the south, that we must continue to speak to that which God wants to do in those lives, to the ends of the earth. It's the reason you'll hear us talk about trips to East Asia and to South Asia, because God gives us those opportunities. It's not either or. Listen to me. It is not either or. It must be both and. I hear some people sometimes say, again, well, we've got so much work to do here. Why are we going over there? And you know what? I totally agree with you. We've got all kind of work to do over here. What's stopping you? It can happen any day of the week. I used to tell the folks down at Zachary, somebody would say, why are we going off to Nicaragua? We've got so much work to do here. I said, well, I'll tell you what. I'm taking about 20 with me to Nicaragua. You know, we, we run, we were running about 800 or so at that time. I'd say, so 20 of us are going. I'm leaving about 780 of you here. Now, I know some of those are probably babies and infants. But I think that's probably enough to be able to cover Zachary while I'm gone. It's not either or. It's both and. And we need to be about the work that God has called us to. From Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth. And aren't you proud, by the way, they didn't just say, hey, we just got a lot of work to do here in Jerusalem. We're just going to stay here. You and I better be proud that somebody went past Jerusalem and brought us into the kingdom. Because don't forget, we were on the other side looking in. Hey, there's a story. I'll finish with this. Years ago when I was at Blue Mountain College, 
This older pastor came and he told us a story. And the story is not in the scriptures, so don't look for it. Don't go away confused. Don't like try to tell people I'm putting stuff in the scripture. It's not in the scripture, okay? All right? Just want you to hear that up front. Just a story to remind us and teach us. And that old preacher, he, he came to us and he said, you know, he said, there's a story about Jesus going back to heaven. You know, when he ascended. And all the angels met him and the angels were like... <laughs> Oh, Jesus, so, so great to see you back. It was so great to see you back. We, we've heard of the wonders and the glories and what you've done. We've heard, we have heard that you have left a wonderful government in place so that they will rule on your behalf and that your kingdom would truly be known. Jesus stopped just a moment to the angels and said, Hold on. I didn't leave a government down there. Oh, oh we, we, were, we must have been confused. It wasn't a government you left. You, you left a military. You left a great army of people to march across the globe and, and to be able to subdue people by force. That's what you've done. Jesus said, no, no, no. I, did, I didn't, didn't do that either. The angels looked confused. The angels said, Jesus, you didn't leave a government. You didn't leave a military. I thought you were going to be a king. What, what, what did you do? Jesus said, I had 12 disciples and a few others that had come along, followers. But one of the 12 even betrayed me. So I left 11 plus a few to share my love and to share my story with others. And the angels were like, 11, 11, 11 people, 11 people to do this task. And he said, 11 folks plus a few to evangelize the whole world. And what happened? You and I are sitting in a church in Ruston, Louisiana. Because God so empowered 11 plus a few to make a difference for the gospel so that you and I could have life. And what the book of Acts says, they turned the world upside down. When the Holy Spirit gives us the power that we so desperately need and when we will be willing and surrendered to that power in our lives, we can see Rustin turned upside down. In Louisiana and the nation and the world. Because this is what I got. The God of the Bible, the God that worked in, is still the God of today and the God who works in our lives. He is no weaker. He is no more removed. He is just as powerful and He is just as alive in our lives today. You are to be my witnesses. You'll receive the Holy Spirit as power. And you'll go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. May we be witnesses this week. May we fulfill our plan, His plan, fulfill our purpose through His power. Let's pray together. Father, thank you again for this day. God, challenge us as your people. Help it start with us individually. Lord, let this message lodge within us right now. 
And may we see the difference that it makes as we witness to who you are. And we pray it in Jesus' name.